In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, today I want to start uh, a new series. God willing, it'll be a four-part series talking about the revelation of God. And the reason it's important to understand this topic is because we have to understand how is it that we know absolutely anything about God at all? Like, based on what do we understand the existence of God, the character of God, the goodness of God, the salvation that God gave us, our identity, our origin, you know, where did we come from, where are we going? All of the things that we discuss in the Christian faith is not based on just deductive reasoning. It's not only based on just looking around or looking inside ourselves, but everything is revelation, right? God has revealed to us all those things. He's revealed to us who we are, where we're going, why we are the way that we are here in this place, um, who he is, his characteristics, and so on. And so we learn about God and we see his characteristics in many, many um, different ways. So I want to speak about four ways that God reveals himself to us. Each week, we're going to speak about one of these, okay? Today, we're going to speak about the creation. God willing, next time, we'll speak about the human conscience, scripture, and the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are all ways that the Lord reveals himself to us, okay? Creation, because we can look around and we can see the magnificence of the creation. We can see the design that is in creation. You know, it's a very hard sell to look around us and to say absolutely everything that we see was simply randomly put together. There is such order and design and magnificence in the creation, and this is actually a way that one of the ways that God reveals himself. Or the human conscious, right, ourselves, the way that we are put together, the way that we can think, the way that we are aware, the free will that we have, the way that we can look at the world around us and how unique are we compared to any other of the creation. It's another way that God reveals himself. Or the word of God, that he revealed to us himself in the word of God. Another way that he reveals himself is through the written word and the way that he kind of has written for us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, all of his characteristics, all of the very important events that have happened in history that point to him and to point to what he has done. And then the last one, which is also one of the greatest, is the incarnation. Because how is it that he revealed himself in its fullness is that he himself came and became a human being that we can interact with, that we can touch, that we can hear his voice speaking to us, and that we have such a close connection with him because he became one of us and he dwelt and lived among us. So these are the four ways that I want to speak about regarding um, how the ways that God reveals himself. So the first is the creation. God can be seen in the creation. It says, for since the creation, in Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Saying when people are, are, are looking at the creation, they're looking at the universe. They're looking around and seeing, okay, where, what, what is this world that we live in? What is this universe that we live in? And he's saying, for since the creation of the world, the invisible attributes of who? Of God. The invisible attributes of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Right? The things that are made are the creation. The things that God creates tells us something about him. 
So when we look around at the world, when we look at the universe, when we see the things around, tells us something about him. Also in Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. So it's very important for us, when we look around and we see the magnificence that all that God has created, this points to something, right? It is not just something to kind of to be ignored. If you look at, um, for instance, out of all of the, you know, the, the, the observation that we have done for decades, up until now, we have not found any other life anywhere in the universe. Now, that is not to say that it is impossible or that somehow it is against our faith if that were to be discovered. But if you look at it, as of right now, we have found nothing, okay? And, and we found that the universe is a barren place. It is a place that is devoid of life. It is a place that doesn't have the, the elements that all come together on, in the planet Earth that God has made. So if you look at even the planet Earth compared to just the other planets in our solar system, for instance. You see, there's a huge difference, okay, between them. Whether you have planets that are closer to the sun or whether you have planets that are further away from the sun, you see nothing at all like the planet Earth, okay? Even our own moon, okay, which is about the same distance from the sun, there is no life on it, okay? So, so there is something special about the Earth that God has made it to be lush, that God has, has made it to be able to support life, and that he created it in such a way because he wanted us as human beings to dwell in it, that this is the place that we would dwell. Also, when you look at all of the magnificence of kind of the rest of the universe, there is so much, right? There is so much around. There's so many things to be seen in the universe as though, uh, and no other evidence of any other creatures other than what God made here, we look at it and we see, like, did God create all of this just so he can, like, demonstrate his creativity, de demonstrate his power, de demonstrate his vastness when you consider how big the universe is, okay? What are the things that are made? I mentioned the expansiveness of the universe. The universe is 93 billion light years across, 93 billion light years. So light, which is the fastest thing that exists, if it were to travel for 93 billion years, it would cross the universe. And actually, it technically will not cross the universe because the universe continues to expand. So even, e even there is no way that light could even travel from one end of the universe to the other because the universe is expanding faster than light travels. So there is technically no way to even traverse the universe. There is no way, no matter how fast that you go, there is no way to even cross the universe. And of this 93 billion uh, light years, only a part of this is actually visible, right? Because the other parts that are so far away, the light cannot even reach us. So no matter how powerful a telescope that you have, there is no way that you can even see to the end of the universe. The universe continues to expand. So you see the expansiveness of what God has made. And when we consider ourselves in the midst of this, we see like we are just the tiniest speck, right? The tiniest speck that God would make this whole place for us to dwell and all of this barrenness and emptiness, more and more an indication that there is something special about this place. This place is not like any other. This place is not just like any random creation of things. There is something special about what this God has made. Life is not common. It is not common. And maybe at one point people used to believe that it was common. Now most people say it is not common. It is not a common thing. How is it that it came to be this way? 
Well, of course, people have different explanations from that for a, from a scientific perspective. But of course, from a Christian perspective and what we believe, we believe that God made this place uniquely for us. And this should be a source of humility for us. It should humble us when we look around and we see the vastness of emptiness of space all around. And also you see the beauty of it. There is so much beauty when we look up into the heavens and we see all of the structures and the stars and the things that God has made. And we look at it and we see that God created all of this, even though we will never be able to reach there. It is like a canvas. It is like a painting that God paints for us so that just when we look and gaze up into the sky, we are able to see it and we are able to enjoy its presence and to feel that God made the beauty of all the heavens for us and we do not deserve such beauty. Another uh, kind of evidence that we have to show the existence of God and the creation is the complexity of life. In Darwin's day, he ascribed life to coincidences and natural conditions. Okay, And at the time, because there was very little scientific understanding when it came to the, the structures of life and the cell and, and how life works, that was considered at the time to be a sufficient explanation to justify the theory of evolution, coincidences, and natural conditions. But modern technology has allowed us to delve into the tiniest particles of life and has revealed that the cell is the most complex system mankind has ever confronted. The cell is so complex. There are actually 3D animations um, that people have made. I believe Harvard University has made to show that if you were to able to go microscopically and actually observe what is happening in the cell, it is like the most complex machine that you can imagine that copies itself, that corrects errors in itself, that propagates itself. And all of these things far beyond like human ability to create something that is equivalent to this that we are still struggling to understand it completely, of how complex um, it is. This picture here, okay, are some of the processes that happen inside of a cell. I know it's not made where you can actually be able to see it, but you can see how, how much is written on that page. All of this is describing the complexity of the processes that happen inside of every single cell in the body, okay? So there are power stations producing energy to be used by the cell. There are factories manufacturing the enzymes and hormones essential for life. There is a data bank where all the necessary information about all products to be produced is recorded. There is complex transportation systems and pipelines for carrying raw materials and products from one place to the other. Advanced laboratories and refineries for breaking down external raw materials into their usable parts. Specialized cell membrane proteins to control the incoming and outgoing materials. These constitute only a small part of this incredibly complex system. So this is not a biology class, nor can I say that I completely understand the way that a cell works by any means. But there is enough evidence that even when you look at it, you see how is it that such a system like this could have simply come into being by randomness? How could it be that such a complex system could just appear? You know, even over billions of years, billions of years of randomness could produce this, something that can do all these things, that is engineered and designed the way that a human being with a mind would think to engineer something, would think to create something. You know, When we look at the cell, we understand it from an engineering perspective. We understand it from a perspective of each part has a role and how do they work together. 
just as someone who designed something who is very intelligent would know how to design something in the best and efficient way so that it works together the way that it has a purpose and it has a function, right? But those people who are claiming that the cell and all of that we see around us was produced by randomness, they are saying there is no design. There, there is no design. It's just whatever happened to be successful, whatever happened to be, you know, able to survive was the thing that actually exists today through natural selection. But when you look at it, how can we explain this? Can we explain this using those terms of just everything is random? W.H. Thorpe, who is an evolutionist scientist, he acknowledges that the most elementary type of cell constitutes a mechanism unimaginably more complex than any machine yet thought up, let alone constructed by man. The cell is so complex that modern technology cannot produce one. So if, if you were to even attempt using modern technology to produce a machine, even on a large scale, that can do what the cell can do, no one has been able to do it, right? It, is, it, is, it has not been able to be reproduced. No effort to create an artificial cell has ever met with success, and all attempts to do so have been abandoned because people recognize it as being futile. It is too complex, it is too difficult for someone to do. So we said what? The expansiveness of the universe is evidence of God in, his, in the creation, and the complexity of life is evidence of God in the creation. Also, the fine-tuning of the universe. Okay, what does the fine-tuning of the universe mean? The, the man Steven Weinberg was an agnostic and Nobel laureate in physics. He wrote this. He said, how surprising it is that the laws of nature and the initial conditions of the universe should allow for the existence of beings who could observe it. Life as we know it would be impossible if any one of several physical quantities had slightly different values. Okay, what, what does this mean? Anyone who studies physics knows that in all of the equations that you come across of how to describe motion, how to describe gravity, how to describe all kinds of principles in, in physics, there was always some kind of factors, these factors that you kind of include in the equation, which are, um, which are like uh, constants of the universe, essentially. They're constants of the universe. They're numbers that are just happen to be the way that they are because our universe behaves a certain way, so you have these constants and factors in the universe. So the scientists have discovered that if these constants of the universe were even minutely different than what they are, then all of life could not exist or maybe all of matter could not exist at all. The idea that the universe is fine-tuned to allow life and to allow matter, to allow the things that we see and know around us is something that we have to understand. The universe is fine-tuned, it is not random. For instance, the strength of gravity is an example. The initial matter in the universe coalesced through gravity to form stars and galaxies without which life would not be possible. Okay, so how is it that we see that the galaxies and stars formed, right? We believe that there was some Big Bang that people call the Big Bang and the Big Bang Theory and that all of the matter of the universe um, began to spread, okay, from that point. So this matter, how is it that it would actually form stars and galaxies that we know them today? Well, it formed them because of gravity. Matter began to attract other matter and started to form dense 
clusters of this matter, which eventually became stars, and those stars eventually formed together into galaxies. And without these stars, it would have been impossible to have life because there would be no source of heat, right? So one of the basic elements that was necessary for the formation of life is the fact that we had stars. And the way that we have stars is because there is gravity. If there was no gravity, then you couldn't have any matter that kind of clustered together to form the star to begin with. So this is saying that if the force of gravity were ever so slightly different than what it is now, then these stars would have never formed. And if the stars never formed, there would not have been any opportunity to have life. The strength of gravity must be exactly right for stars to form. If we change gravity even by even a tiny fraction of a percent, enough so that you would be, say, one billionth of a gram heavier or lighter, the universe becomes so different that there are no stars, galaxies, or planets. Can you imagine? If the strength of gravity changed so that you, your weight on Earth changed by only a billionth of a gram, a billionth of a gram, to where for, for, for each of us, we would never even detect such a change. Like that's how minute the change of gravity would have to be in order for us to, to, to change in our weight by a billionth of a gram. But according to this, that would be enough and sufficient for, for stars never to have even formed. And, and, and so if stars would have never formed, of course life would have never formed. Another fine tuning of the universe has to do with the formation of the uh, element of carbon. Carbon is the element upon which all known life is based. Carbon atoms form the cores of stars by fusion reactions. In these reactions, three helium atoms collide and fuse together to make a carbon atom. However, in order for that fusion reaction to work, the energy levels must match up in just the right way or the three helium atoms would bounce off each other before they could fuse. To create this unusual matchup of energies, two physical forces, the strong and electromagnetic forces, must operate in just the right way. The slightest change to either the strong or electromagnetic forces would alter the energy levels, resulting in greatly reduced production of carbon. The values are tuned so that carbon is produced efficiently, leading to an abundant amount of, of uh, an element we need for life. So essentially, again, the, if this process of the creation of carbon, which happens inside of stars, were slightly and, and minutely changed, then there would not have been enough carbon produced in order to have life, okay? But again, we see that there is enough carbon for life and all life um, is made of carbon. Dean Lee at North Carolina University, he says, in new lattice calculations done at the Julek Supercomputer Center, the physicists found that just a slight variation in the light quark mass will change the energy of the Hoyle state, and this in turn would affect the production of carbon and oxygen in such a way that life as we know it wouldn't exist. So again, what is the point here? The point is that if all of this did not have any designer, if there was no one who who made it to be such, then what are the odds that such a thing could happen? What are the odds that we would find all of these um, constants, all of these forces, everything fine-tuned for um, life to be able to exist and thrive? And even so, with all of these, you don't find that life is everywhere. You don't find that life is abundant in, in all the planets and all the universe and every place. There is something about the Earth itself that God has made 
to allow life to be here, that he created life here, simply because you have carbon, simply because you have oxygen, simply because gravity is right, simply because all those things are right, that still doesn't make life flourish everywhere. There's still only certain places where God has allowed life to be. Another uh, fine-tuning uh, of the universe has to do with the stability of DNA. Every atom has a nucleus of protons and neutrons and a cloud of electrons swirling around it. When an atom binds with another atom to make a molecule, the charged protons and electrons interact to hold them together in bonds. The mass of a proton is nearly 2,000 times the mass of the electron. And there's the exact number. But if this ratio changed by only a small amount, the stability of many common chemicals would be compromised. In the end, this would prevent the formation of many molecules, including DNA, the building blocks of life. So if the mass, if the ratio of the mass of the proton to the electron was slightly, ever so slightly different, again, this would be enough so that um, DNA would not be able to, to form uh, and, and molecules would not be able to form. Again, well, who decided that the electron okay, was going to have that specific mass and the proton was going to have that specific mass? Again, it's a very, very fine-tuning of the universe. So has anyone heard of the multiverse? What this is? What is the multiverse? Huh? In the Marvel movies, they have the multiverse. So where did the idea of the multiverse come from? So the multiverse is the idea that there's many, many universes, right? We live in a universe, but there are actually many, many, maybe an infinite number um, of universes. Where did the idea of the multiverse come from? What evidence is there of the multiverse? There is no evidence. Because what kind of scientific instruments do we have to detect a universe outside of our universe? We don't have any. It doesn't exist. We can't even detect the things in our own universe, let alone other universes. So where did the idea of the multiverse come from? It was because people who do not want to accept the fine-tuning of the universe, because the fine-tuning is such a strong evidence for a designer who designed the universe, they do not want to accept. So they said maybe there are an infinite number of universes and every single one of those universes has different constants, has different masses for protons and electrons, has different gravity, has different, all of these things that we talk about and there's much more than these. This is just a very small number of things of the fine tuning. So maybe, maybe every single universe has these different values and so because there's an infinite number of these universes, then there has to be at least one that eventually has all of the combination of all of the possible uh, constants of the universe just right to support life. So instead of looking at it from the perspective of the universe is special, and because it's special, it could not have come about randomly, so that means that somebody had to have designed it, Right? This is the Christian worldview. This is the way we understand and look at it. Instead, their view is, no, the universe is not special because there's an infinite number of them. And there has to be at least one that just by randomness ends up getting all of the right factors uh, 
um, in order to support life, and we happen to be in that one special one. Okay? So the idea even of the, the way that science, okay, the scientific community even comes up with some of these ideas is rooted in the idea that they do not want to believe in God, that they want to discount the possibility of God. So we will come up with theories and ideas that has zero potential of even testing whether it is true or not. There is no way to test whether it's true or not. Just like maybe we could say there is no way to test that God is true or not. But if you are going to say that we are, we are not even considering the possibility of the existence of God because it is non-scientific and because we cannot test for it, okay, so then why are you then accepting this idea of the multiverse, which is also non-scientific, cannot be tested? There is no way to test it. There's no way to observe it. It is an assumption. It is an idea that maybe if it were true would account for why the universe that we live in is so special, right? But when, as Christians, as believers, when we come and say, no, well, you believe that the universe is special, yes, and we believe that it is special because it was created by a designer, it was created by God to be the way that it is, okay? But then that idea is discarded and, and, and as though it is non-scientific. So I just wanted to mention the multiverse because maybe some of us have heard of it. This is the reason behind it and what it is. So what is the purpose? What is the purpose of the creation? Because as, as Christians, we believe that the creation has a purpose. Okay? Those who do not believe in God believe that there is no purpose. The, 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 the um, universe, the creation, is purposeless because it is simply the product of many, many random interactions that cannot be predicted, that cannot be, there is no reason behind it to be, right? There is no, there is no purpose. What do we believe about the purpose of the creation? St. Basil the Great, he says, you will find that the world was not devised at random or to no purpose, but to contribute to some useful end and to the great advantage of all beings. It is truly a training place for rational souls and a school for attaining the knowledge of God through visible and perceptible objects. It provides guidance to the mind for the contemplation of the invisible. So what St. Basil is saying is that the creation points us to God, okay? It was not devised at random or with no purpose, but it contributes to something right? And it is an advantage to us that when we look at the, um, the design of nature, when we look about all of these things that God made, which is why I would recommend that you read about this. You try to study, again, not for the purpose of being like scientific scholars. The more that we understand about the nature of the world and, and the fine-tuning of it and the way that it works, the more we see God in it. Right? We see that it could not simply have been uh, for no purpose. And, it's, and he says what? It is truly a training place for rational souls and a school for attaining the knowledge of God. We should look at it and understand that God is the one who made this. It could not have been done any other way. You know, there is the famous um, analogy of the watchmaker. Um, if you go and, and you find on the ground a watch, okay, um, you do not conclude that this watch came together because of a bunch of random, purposeless uh, forces that happened to work together in such a way to create the watch. 
No, you assume someone built the watch. There, there is nothing that we see that is actually a construction of some kind, a machine of some kind. And we look at it and we say, well, this must have just kind of come together randomly, right? It, it doesn't even make sense rationally to think that way. So if you see then the complexity of life, the fine-tuning of the universe, all of the things that we talk about and we see around us, how could then we conclude that all of this just happened to come about randomly? Ambrosiaster, he says, Paul here repeats the same thing in order to teach even more absolutely that although the power and majesty of God cannot by themselves be seen by the eyes of the creature, they may be known by the work of the structure of the world. Meaning we as human beings cannot see God directly. We, 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 we don't see God directly. We don't look at his face directly. But we see him through the work of of the creation. We see his characteristics manifested in the creation. We see how detail-oriented he is through the creation. We see the love that he has for us through the way that he created the world for us. All of this is we learn about God. But Job, when he's speaking about God, he says, indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways, and how small a whisper we hear of him but the thunder of his power who can understand. Meaning what we see of God is just a, a glimpse. It's just the edge of his ways. It's not the fullness of him. It is not what he has, com what he has done to the fullness, to the completeness. But what, he, what we have seen is just what he has allowed us to see. Going back to the idea of the revelation. God reveals himself to us by revelation. He tells us about himself. And here today we've talked about how God tells us about himself through the creation that he made. So when we look at the creation, it should bring in us wonder. You know, sadly, um, as far as scientific advancement goes, instead of looking deeper and deeper into the cell and into life and into all the complexities of nature that we are learning more and more about year after year, instead of looking to those things and being humbled by them, Instead of looking into those things and then concluding of the awesomeness of the God who must have created these things because they are so complex, instead, the scientific community, to a large extent, concludes that because we can now understand these things and because we are aware of them, then that means that we do not need God. That means that God did not have to be present to make them because we can understand. But they've conflated two things. Understanding how something works it's not the same thing as creating that thing. And keep in mind that when God created, he didn't create using matter that already existed. He didn't take something that already existed and he just kind of used it to create something. Actually, that's what engineers do. Engineers take something that already exists, they put it together in a certain way because they have understanding of it, and they make something new. Human beings do this all the time, okay? And, and, and sadly, humans, because they can do this, make themselves out to be God because we are able to put things together and make something new and understand something. Okay, we, we make ourselves to be God. What God did is he took nothingness. He took something, took, nothing existed. And he created from nothing, not only the matter, but the laws of nature themselves. No human being can control the laws of nature and no human being can create matter. And yet God created both. And as a gift to us, as human beings, he gave this to us and he says, this is a blessing for you. 
the fact that you can understand, the fact that you can use these laws and use this matter that I have made in order to build things that are useful for you, that are practical for you. But these are the mere edge of his ways. He is much deeper than that. He is much more than that. When he says, no eye has seen you know, the things that he has prepared for us, who of us can, can see what is in heaven? Who of us knows the true essence and glory of God? What, we, what he reveals about himself is simply the edge, simply the, the glimpse that we see of him. And with that glimpse alone, we should be able to conclude that he exists. We should be able to conclude. And a big reason why people reject this is because they do not want God to exist. They do not want to believe in him. They wish that he did not exist. They do not want to have someone who gives them commandments. They do not want to have someone who tells them that you must obey or that you must submit yourself or that you are not gods in yourselves. And so maybe we struggle with the idea of the existence of God in our society because people do not want him to exist. But God is here revealing himself. How then is the world not convinced when they see these things? In Romans 1.21, it says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Those people who knew God rejected him. They did not want to glorify him as God. They were not thankful to him as God. They did not submit to him as God. And so over time, they began to believe that he did not exist and they began to believe that they were greater than him. Ambrosiaster, he says, in this way he indicts those who lived without law, whether natural or mosaic. For by the habit of sinning, they broke the law of nature, wiping out any memory of him. Meaning the more that someone lives away from the natural law, away from the conscience that God has given each one, away from the moral code that God has implanted in each one, the more that people live away from this, their mind becomes debased, their mind becomes corrupted, and they no longer even recognize God even when he is clearly in front of them. When you can look at all the evidence of the creation and all the evidence of the presence of God and look at it and conclude, no, God does not exist. Why? Because I can create these things myself. Though all the evidence of God exists around us, we became blinded by sin so that we look at it and are not um, convinced. So today we spoke about the first part of four, which is the revelation of God through the creation. God willing, next time we will continue um, and speak about other ways that the Lord God reveals himself. Any comments or questions before we conclude? Marlene. So this is largely a political thing. Um, the church has no official stance on climate change. So 
God wants us to be good stewards of what he gives us, right? So he wants us to be good stewards of our bodies. He wants us to be good stewards of the earth. How you define what is a good steward, um, different people have different opinions about it, and I think that's largely where the political issue lies. Some people see that, well, no, the climate is changing, and so we have to drastically change the laws, and we have to drastically change human behavior and activities and the sources of energy that we use, and we have to do that. So there's a group of people that say that. And then there's another group of people that says, yes, the climate of the Earth is changing because it is a natural change that has happened periodically throughout the history of the Earth, and man-made behavior, or ma ma like the behavior of, of humans, is not directly... Um, be responsible for those changes, right? And I think that's where the issue comes depending on what side, you know, each person is on, which is trying to create some kind of a change in policy and law and so on based on that. So I don't want to comment on that because that's not what we're trying to talk about here, but I would just say that we are supposed to be good stewards of the earth. What does that mean in terms of practice? Um, everyone has a different opinion. But the church has no formal view on climate change or um, you know, what should we do to combat it or anything like that. Yeah, Mark. So there's nothing in the Big Bang Theory that contradicts our faith. Whether the Big Bang actually happened or not, again, like there are a lot of times where there will be a, a theory that's accepted for a very, very long time, and then suddenly, based on some new evidence perhaps, the scientific community will come and say, no, it actually wasn't this and that. So I'm not trying to emphasize that there's any specific scientific theory that we as a church adhere to. Right? This is a problem that happened in the past. Like, for instance, there was a time in the Catholic Church where they believed that the sun revolved around the earth and that all the planets revolved around the earth because the earth was special and God created it. So it must be that everything revolves around the earth. That was a, a, a religious view at one time in the Catholic Church. And then, of course, we found that that was incorrect. Right? So we are not trying to adhere in the church. We are not trying to adhere to any specific scientific theory about anything because we are not here for science. Like we're not, we're not scientists. It doesn't mean that we're against science. It doesn't mean that a lot of the theories that are presented are, are wrong. It just means that we are not focusing on that. And the Bible is not a science book. So it doesn't, even though there is science in it, even though there are some things that are, you could say, are uh, referring to natural processes and things that happen in the universe, but its purpose is not to teach science and it's by no means comprehensive to kind of teach in, in, a, in a rigorous scientific way anything. So when I mentioned the Big Bang Theory, what I meant was, is that that is the predominant theory right now and there is no contradiction between that and our faith. But if it were to come, you know, like we, we could say that when God said, let there be light in the book of Genesis chapter 1, that that was the Big Bang. We could say that. It could happen, but not necessarily. It could have been different. Because I'm not trying to make a definitive statement about science. Okay? Any other? Okay, let's pray.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day and for every opportunity that you allow us to come into your house and to pray to you, to worship you, and to receive, O Lord, your Holy Spirit upon us. We thank you, O God, for all of your goodness, all the blessings that you give us. We ask, O God, that you give us strength and energy and help us, O Lord, to continue our spiritual struggle, to flee from sin, and to seek you out, O Lord, each and every day. Please help us, O Lord, to see you in nature, to see you around us and not feel that we are alone or isolated or abandoned, but to know, O Lord, that you are with us at all times and to see your fingerprints in our life and in the creation that you have made and all the good things, O Lord, you have given to us. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the community gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.